Let's pray at the end of our prayer. uh, What I'd like to do during this uh, series in Ephesians for the next few months is pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray and do it uh, together. Um, So we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer at the very end of my time of prayer here. And um, because there are many versions and many backgrounds here, and uh, I'm going to put it, it'll be up on the screen. So don't you're allowed to pray with your eyes open. Okay, that's legal in the kingdom of God. So we'll pray that prayer together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, time that we have together and for the sweetness of your presence during worship. Lord, what you've begun in us this morning in your presence, bring it to completion. And Lord, would you make us attentive to that work that we could keep in step with your Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray that as we look into the book of Ephesians, that you'll grant us grace to understand and power to live out the truth that's presented us in your word. Lord, we thank you uh, first and foremost for Jesus himself who gave himself for us. And together as your people, we pray the prayer that he taught us to pray. But, But I need it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. Um, starting into a series uh, that will go from now till Easter. So get yourselves ready for Ephesians. Uh, I'm calling the series Sit, Walk, Stand. It's not original with me. It's a famous Chinese Christian named Watchman Nee. And he wrote a book called Sit, Walk, Stand. And it's not uh, an exposition of Ephesians. It's really just, it's a very slim little book. But it's the, the major themes of Ephesians. And here's what he sees. And so I, I swipe the, uh, I, I swipe the idea from him. Ephesians is about these three verbs, sitting, walking, and standing. So in Ephesians 2.6, you see uh, Paul writes about us being seated in heavenly places with Christ. That's the reality of our position in Christ. When God looks at us, he sees our little bodies here. But the spiritual reality is we're seated in heavenly places with Christ. The work of salvation has already been done. Later in Ephesians 4, um, Paul writes about walking in a manner that's worthy of our calling. In other words, to actually, uh, he's exhorting uh, believers to walk out with the power of God, the truth of their seatedness, (laughs) their position of being seated in heaven, to walk it out on earth. So sit in heaven with Jesus, walk out the truth. The reality about us, that's the whole first three chapters of Ephesians, is the truth about us in Christ. And then in in Ephesians 6.10, Paul says that I want you to be armed with all your spiritual armor so that you can what? Stand against the enemy. If there was no enemy in this world, we wouldn't need the power of God in our lives. But everyone can testify there's an enemy out there. There's a, there's a real devil trying to do real bad things to God's real people. And so we sit in heavenly places. That's the truth. We'll spend about eight or nine weeks on that. 
And then we walk out that truth. That's Ephesians 4 to 6. And then the very last, right before we go into uh, celebrating the power of the resurrection, we'll talk about the weapons of our warfare. The power that God gives us to stand against the enemy so that the prayer we just prayed actually happens. The kingdom comes to earth and it fleshes itself out through people like you and me. Does that sound thrilling? Well, it does to me. I'm really excited. Okay. Um, So let's uh, read from Ephesians chapter 1, 1 to 6. I'll just encourage you, bring your Bibles these next couple of months. If If you don't have a Bible and want one, we'll give you one for free after the service. But bring your Bibles. We're going to be really sticking our noses into this book of Ephesians, this foundational book of our faith. Ephesians uh, 1, 1 to 6. This is the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he's blessed us in the beloved. Paul is a wild man in the kingdom. The first 14 verses of Ephesians are one sentence in Greek. You think I get wordy sometimes? It's one sentence for 14 verses in Greek. So here's Paul reading a, uh, writing a pastoral letter, I mean a caring pastoral letter to real people in a real place in Ephesus. If you want to read like what was going on in the time frame, Paul's ministry in Ephesus, the book of Acts, right after the four Gospels, Acts 18 to 20. You, uh, read that the next couple of days in your own time with God. And you'll see what was going on in Ephesus when Paul was there and and the occasion of writing this letter. Paul uh, ministered uh, in a a synagogue in Ephesus and uh, then on to Jerusalem and Antioch and then back to Ephesus. He was two and a half years there. Paul was two and a half years in this real-life city of Ephesus. Do I have got a picture of that? It's a real-life city. I took this picture. I know it exists. It's a real-life place. You know what's interesting? Ephesus was considered the crossroads of Asia during the time. And maybe you're not a word person like me, but I get a little chills when I think, you know, the, the word of God to the crossroads of that place is the word of God to the crossroads of America. That's us, right? So it's the same word of God has never changed, and, and God wants to apply it in our actual place, like right here, Indianapolis, where we live. So Paul comes into uh, Ephesus, he preaches in the synagogues, people get filled with the Holy Spirit, people get healed left and right, demons are flying all over the place, because the, the, the power of the gospel has come in the person of Paul and the disciples, and it's displacing the enemy's work. That's what was going on in Ephesus. I mean, it was, it was revival. It was really revival. When I was there a couple of years ago, it wasn't exactly revival, but we did worship, This is the actual place where Paul preached. And we gathered, a friend of mine and I gathered with some other Christians from Iran, underground Christians who snuck out to worship and to learn about Jesus. And so 
picture of us gathering, worshiping the same place where they almost beat the bejeebers out of Paul 2,000 years ago. And there's underground Christians from Iran worshiping the same God who releases people from the enemy's snares. Revival was going on. There was uh, such a move of God in Ephesus that some of the business people in Ephesus were getting ticked off because Ephesus was a big place for the worship of Artemis. So they worshipped this goddess Artemis and then they made little statues and idols and they sold the statues and idols and it was big business in Ephesus. I ran into some business people in Ephesus. Look at this one. (laughs) Talk about the tension of the kingdom. I'm like, genuine fake watch. My mind exploded when I saw that one. I just do that one just purely for fun. But the business people of the day got pretty ticked off at Paul because all of the power of God was coming through the disciples and the whole city, 250,000 people, the whole city knew about Jesus because most of them had seen the power of God evident in someone's life. Revival came. They'd seen the power of God. And so Paul comes and through this power, after, after all this power comes, Paul writes a letter with this purpose. He doesn't say this. This is just my understanding reading it. He says this. You've seen the power of God and your city's been turned upside down. Now I want to give you the foundation of the truth of God so that you can walk in your life with truth and power. I think that's what Ephesians is about. Truth and power. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the truth about us. But it's not just to stuff our heads full of stuff. It's so that that truth gets worked into our lives and then out of our lives as we express the love and power of God to this city. Why not this city get turned upside down? By the power of God. By people walking in truth and love and with great power. I mean, that's revival. That's what we're looking for. February 6th would be a good day. Super Bowl. Wouldn't that be fun? National coverage for the revival that begins in Indianapolis. You're laughing and I'm not joking. Why not? Why not? God just needs a people. And that's us. Okay. So uh, Paul's in the theater preaching. A riot comes. Uh, I've heard people call it sort of rent a riot. You know, it's, uh, all the business people get this a bunch of people. 24,000 people can fit in this, uh, in this um, theater in Ephesus. 24,000. Who knows how many were there trying to, you know, beat the heck out of Paul because the power of the gospel had come and was turning their city upside down. Sarita, just go uh, for a few minutes here, verse by verse through just three of these verses. Three, four, five, six. Four of these verses in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 3 to 6 is where we're starting. You see in, uh, in all of these, uh, this first chapter of Ephesians, you see the Trinity. You see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul shows us this calling and, and, and election of the Father, this redeeming of the Son, Jesus, and the sealing and the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. Great emphasis on the, the sovereignty of God, the grace of God, and on Jesus, the Son of God. In the first 14 verses of Ephesians, the name of Jesus or Christ is there 15 times. What do you think uh, just uh, fills the heart and the mind of Paul? It's not just theology. It's actually God himself, Jesus. He's filled with it. And so you just see Jesus all through Ephesians. It's, it's the focus of Paul. 
He says in verse 3 that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I mean, sometimes you hear those words and you think, great, what does that mean? It means to me this. Everything you need to live out your faith in Christ has been given to you. Every blessing required to live out who God knows you to be is yours already. You have it. Now, Paul says it's in heavenly places. Don't get confused. You live in a heavenly place. Remember, we're seated with God in the heavenly places. Our bodies are walking around here on this earth, and Jesus is walking around in them. So when we talk about being blessed in the heavenly places, this is the heavenly place where we are. There's a spiritual reality that we'll walk into when we die. But the spiritual reality has already started here. We're in Christ right now. As we sit here, we're in Christ. Everything we need to walk out the life of God within us, we have. Remember the prayer we just prayed? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? Right here on earth as it is in heaven. Paul's saying, you know what? That reality has already started. You've got everything you need to, in a sense, bring heaven down to earth. It's in you. There was a time when I, was, uh, I, knew that, I knew that God was inviting me into a deeper relationship with him. I mean, there were some things in my life I was struggling with, and I, and I knew that Jesus himself was saying, Randy, come a little closer. I, wanna, I really want to walk with you. And I remember saying to the Lord, I said, but Lord, I mean, this is just my stuff. I said, can you handle all my sadness? And I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with God like this. You, you, you speak out the question and you hear in your mind the answer. And you know it's God because of the quality of the answer. He said, can you handle all my sadness? And the Lord said, Randy, I know sadness. So I'm, you know, a little bit touchy at times. I said, yeah, I understand that, God. But you know everything. You know the plan. You know how it's going to work out. And he responded to me. He said, yes, but you know me. But you know me. I thought, okay, I'm good. <laughs> you win this one. I think what he's saying is, you know, my son Jesus is in you. I gave you the Holy Spirit. You've got it all. You don't have to know it all because you know the one who has it. And I want us, I want us to walk out this morning with that recognition that we've got it all. Everything that we need. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And believe it or not, we walk our lives in the heavenly places. <clears throat> the blessings are all available in Christ. If you're tempted these days to go somewhere other than Jesus for spiritual blessings, I just want to call you back. I mean, if you're tempted by, I know Oprah's not anymore, and she just she bought a channel and she's going to buy the world or whatever she's going to do. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm just speaking a little bit against sort of the, the, the Oprah spirituality that's out there. If you're tempted right now to go away from Jesus to any other place or thing or book or concept to find some sort of spiritual meaning, just hear the Lord saying, stop, come back. Everything you need for life and godliness has been given to you in Christ. You've got it. You don't have to go somewhere else. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, Paul says this. God chose us. He chose us before the foundations of the world. Is that how the scripture goes? 
He chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world. God chose us. There's a, there's a fancy theological term for this. It's called election. Don't be put off by the terms. They have real meaning and they have impact in our lives. It's called election. Now, the election of God is not like the elections of man, right? If you're a Republican these days, you're looking at these seven people and people are dropping off, you know, who are trying to get to the point. They're beating each other up so they can get the privilege of beating Obama up for however many months until we elect someone. Human elections go like this. The person stands up and says, look at me. I've got what it takes. Vote for me and I'll be a great king, ruler, whatever. God's election is completely different than that. When the Bible says God chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that means pre-temporal, before time. Before time existed, you were in the mind of God. Before there was anything that you see or have ever thought of, God was thinking of you. God chose you before the foundations of the world to be in Christ. That's the, that's the um, biblical theological term, election. It's not God looking ahead at your life from the foundation of time and saying, you know what? I think Sue, I think she's going to work. I think 51%, she's probably going to be good. Let's pick her. No. Not based on what you would do. Not based on what you have done not even based on what you could possibly conceive of doing. God chose you before it all. I mean, what does it do inside you to realize God picked me for his team before he knew if I could even walk or run? Before even I committed that name in your head, the worst possible sin you can think of in your life. He knew about that, but he picked me. He chose me. You've been elected. Now, I should be honest, there are uh, a lot of well-meaning, God-loving, Jesus-worshipping Christians who have a different view of this theologically. And in my mind, they're perfectly free to be wrong as long as they want. I'm just kidding. There are other views of this. I'm giving you mine. I'm just letting you know. Before the foundation of time, not based on what we would do, or even God looking into our hearts and saying, gee, I think they'll believe. No, he chose us. You're a chosen one. And when God chooses people, he doesn't do it grudgingly. God's choice is not like a junior high pickup game, all right? I mean, you remember some of those junior high pickup games? You're like, you know, two captains. It's always the big, strong, good-looking people. I was never one. And then they start picking, you know? And they're like, oh, gooder. Jeez. Well, I don't want them to feel bad, you know? All right, we'll take you. That's how we choose. God doesn't choose like that. God chooses like this. Gooder? Oh, yes! I want him. And the Bible says that God chose us to be holy and blameless before him. God chose you to be holy and blameless before him, before Christ. He didn't choose you because you would be holy and blameless. He chose you unto holiness and blamelessness. He chose you, and he said, David... I see you. I'm taking you. And here's my plan. I'm going to make you holy. Positionally, it's true of all of us who are in Christ. Because when Christ came into our lives, that's pretty much all God can see in the, in the spiritual realm in us. He just looks down. He says, 
Oh, there's Randy. I see Jesus. He's holy and blameless. That's my position. That's the reality of my life right now. My condition, not always completely holy and blameless. But what we're doing in life, it's the process called sanctification, is beginning to live more and more like the person that we already are in God's sight. Does that make sense? That's sanctification. That's, that's kind of our job on the earth, is beginning to live out in reality more and more of who we already are in Christ. We're trying to, to sort of uh, move the gap between position and condition in our lives, and God gets more and more glory. He doesn't kick us off the team when we go down. He comes as a great coach and picks us up and says, Remember, I chose you to be holy and blameless. I've got it worked out. That sin's provided for. That weakness taken care of. That misunderstanding, I'm bringing knowledge. And he, and he walks with us in the midst of it because he chose us. I want to read from <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon was a, a great preacher, uh, late 1800s, died in 1892. And it's kind of wordy and it's, it's maybe a different a language of a different era. But it, I read this about election, about God choosing us, and it just it touched me. So it gets to touch you now. <clears throat> he says, in the very beginning, when this great universe lay in the mind of God, like unborn force in the acorn cup. Long ere the echoes awoke the solitudes, before the mountains were brought forth, and long ere the light flashed through the sky, God loves his chosen creatures. Before there was any created being, when the ether was not fanned by an angel's wing, when space itself had not an existence, where there was nothing save God alone, even then, in that loneliness of deity, and in that deep quiet and profundity, his bowels moved with love for his chosen. Their names were written on his heart, and they were dear to his soul. Jesus loved his people before the foundation of the world, even from eternity. And when he called me by his grace, he said to me, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I just think, man, that guy got it. That guy really got it, that he was chosen and loved and selected unto holiness and blamelessness before he had one breath as a baby. John fifteen sixteen, Jesus says, You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you to go and bear fruit, and fruit that will remain. And Jesus says it. I picked you. You weren't good enough for the team. That's irrelevant. I make you the person that I've called you to be. Verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons. Two more big fancy words, predestined, predestination, and adoption. And I'm going to make these very clear in the last 40 seconds that I have here. There's plenty to read and talk about. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons. In other words, here's this understanding of election, predestination, simplest form I can make it. Motivated by love, God determined before and brought to reality, that is predestined, our salvation. Motivated by love, he looked at the ones he would create and he called and said, I'm taking them for my own. 
And he did that for adoption, that we would become his children. In other words, he said, these are not my children because they've sinned against me, but I'm going to bring them into my family. I'm going to adopt them. Adoption changes everything. Ask any adoptive family in this church. Adoption changes everything. Your relationships, your view and understanding of yourself, the way you walk in the world, your opportunities, your inheritance. And as in the natural, it's the same in the spiritual. God decided that he would adopt us in Christ to be in his family. And it changes everything. I think the rest of the book of Ephesians is this uh, encouragement from Paul to live out your new identity. To live out your adoption. I mean, no, I don't think, uh, I mean, a lot of adopted children, they may not remember what they were saved from. They may not know all the things that could have happened and now did not and will not because they were selected by a loving parent or child. They may not understand the pain and the difficulty, the, the challenge, the expense, the time that goes into them being brought into a new family. And I think we as children of God probably don't get it either. But I'm praying that we will that will realize the price that was paid, that we would be adopted, taken out of the, the clutches of the enemy and brought into the presence of God. That's our reality. That's the reality that we live and walk in. All of this, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. God gets glorified. He shows off his grace when people like us walk around saved. It's not God saying, look at this one, Eddie. He is so good. He's perfect. Look what I did with him. He's just perfect. Not about Eddie. It's about God, right? No, what he's really saying is, I know Eddie, so I can say this. I can even save Eddie. (laughs) We're very close friends, I promise. Well, we were. (laughs) No. He doesn't look at me and say, Randy, uh, I know he'll be a good show, put on a good show for me. No. He says, look, I can even save Randy. I can even redeem Keith. Every one of us. That's how God's grace gets glorified. Not because of who we were, but because of what he's doing in us and through us. And so his grace gets magnified because us, the chiefs of sinners, he changes, he redeems. We know who we were and who he's making us. All of this because of this grace that he bestowed on us in the beloved. That's Jesus. Accepted in the beloved. I love that translation of this verse. We have been accepted in the beloved. In other words, here's Jesus. God looks down, loves him with an eternal love. We are in Christ. So we are loved and accepted with an eternal love and acceptance. And we walk around in that acceptance. My prayer is that God gives us the grace to walk out the reality of our acceptance. These next few months and the rest of our lifetimes so that the world knows that Jesus came and he's saving sinners like us. That's my prayer. Why don't you stand up? Let's pray. Communion servers can come forward. Father, we thank you for the, the rich truth that you've presented to us in this book. And I just pray, God, pour out your grace upon us. 
pour out your grace upon us, God, that we could know and experience this great love. You chose us. You loved us. You placed us in Christ. You've adopted us as sons and daughters. You filled us with the Holy Spirit. And you live in and through us in the world. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just uh, close with the, one more reading from Charles Spurgeon. He, he preached to the believer for a long time, but he was uh, great as an evangelist, and he communicated the gospel, the truth, the invitation of God so well to people like some of us here this morning that didn't know how to reach God. Here's what he says. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're elected. If you'll surrender yourself to Jesus, you're elect. I tell you, the chief of sinners this morning, I tell you in his name, if you'll come to God without any works of your own, surrender yourself to the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you'll come now and trust in him, you're elect. You were loved of God from before the foundation of the world, for you could not do that unless God had given you the power and had chosen you to do it. Now you're safe and secure if you'll just come and surrender yourself to Jesus Christ and wish to be saved and to be loved by him. So I just put that to anyone this morning here who's wondering, where do I belong with God? If you'll come, Jesus does say, surrender everything. You give up everything and he gives you more back. That's the promise of Jesus. So we'd love to pray for you if that's uh, your case this morning. Otherwise, if you'd like uh, prayer um, for anything this morning or physical issues, emotional, spiritual, the ministry team will be here. And we would love to pray for you. Why don't you stand and pray us out. God, we ask now that you send us into the world with grace and with peace, knowing so well that we've been chosen and loved and called and adopted, that we overflow with joy and confidence and give the good news of Jesus in word and in deed everywhere we go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The ministry team can come forward, and if anyone would like prayer, come on forward. Otherwise, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Have a great day.